This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey guys, quick thing. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by Mook Delivery, bringing you the food you love. Mook Delivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with Mook Delivery. So the only question left to say is, are you in? Order now on the McDonald's app and you can get reward points delivered too. So the ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus, rewards registration required, points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hello and welcome to the Guna Talk. Back again with you guys for another episode of what is the Arsenal Raw Reaction Show. Join you every morning at 8am, specifically today. Oh, hold on. We can't win a game and then, you know, I can't forget. There it is. There's the light. The light's back. There we go. Sorry. I nearly forgot to switch the light on. That would have... Uh... Can't not have the light on after a, a fantastic victory like that, can we? Uh, good morning to those joining us live in the chat box. Thank you so much, as always, for doing so. It means the absolute world to me. Um, thank you to everybody joining us in the chat box. It is very much appreciated. Uh, let's uh, let's scroll up, shall we, and say good morning to those that, that tuned in really, really early on. Uh, Dave, good morning to you, to Steve, uh, to PJ. In fact, I should probably check YouTube, shouldn't I, because... The amount of times that people are, are mugged off by StreamYard. <laughs> They've waited all morning. They've got him first, and then StreamYard's done them dirty. I mean, it may not even uh, reward you still. Martin, though, good morning to you, to Red Star, to Barney, Dave, Perez, Pika, who? Uh, let's scroll up the chat, shall we, and see if we can finally get who was actually first. It, I mean, even YouTube's mugged you off because I've only got 7.45 onwards. So, yeah, sorry if you were in there really early. You've been completely rumbled nav good morning to you uh tom mo uh wayne jimbo uh we've got shari damian rob lars olawale plenty more of you guys as well thank you to everybody uh it means the absolute world and uh yeah let's uh get straight on with things arsenal winning 2-1 in spain in seville uh with a really important victory that sees them go back to the top of their champions league group it is amazing how a win and just even goals can make you feel all the world better about things uh, and life in particular as well is, you know, certainly uh, appreciated. It's certainly uh, much, much more enjoyable to come away from a victory and talk about it rather than what happened last weekend and the kind of the difficulty that we had to break that game down because we didn't really know how to take it after the performance. But uh, certainly very, very, very good performance indeed overall. There were some question marks, sure, but I think overall we've got to be very happy about going to a place that is notoriously different uh, notoriously different indeed um, to get a result and Arsenal haven't won in the Champions League in Spain since 2006 another record um, being broken by Mikel Arteta so yes uh, plenty to discuss plenty to talk about with you guys and we're going to do that in part two but part one we're going to run through obviously our slides and some of the key parts of the game as well. Um, just to kick off with, of course, a bit more of a roundup, uh, a difficult game filled with good moments, but still further questions. I think that's probably the best summary of things that there are still question marks in the game about individuals, but overall the performance uh, was peppered with plenty of positives and plenty of encouraging signs as well. Uh, Rob in the chat says, there's over 400 of you watching already and there's only 53 likes. Come on, peeps, hit that like button. If you could hit the like button, that'd be very much appreciated. Um, let's start with uh, Gabriel Martinelli's opening goal. 
And the game started off with, obviously, I think Arsenal had the majority of, of chances, the majority of, of the ball. We had Sevilla getting in behind, I think, once really for an opportunity with, um, with I think it was uh, En Naziri, uh, who's left-footed shot, very similar to the Cole Palmer effort that sc- scooted past David Raya's left post. We'll talk a bit more about David Raya uh, in a bit. But... Uh, the ball comes from actually a, a severe attack and it drops. And what we know about Jesus is that he's excellent at taking down the ball and uh, reconstituting those efforts into Arsenal's attacks. And he spins away from two severe players before then poking the ball through to Martinelli, runs through rounds Nyland, who I think used to play for Aston Villa. I think he played for Aston Villa. Tell me if I'm wrong, but I think he did. Um, and Martinelli rounds him and, and finishes very calmly indeed. There was a you know the the Chelsea comparisns of when he ran away from uh, N'Golo Kante that those was kind of springing to mind, and he never looked like he was ever going to be out of possession. I was watching the Bayern Munich Galatasaray game um, prior to this one, and there was a moment where Leroy Sané was clear through on goal and was sprinting with the ball at his left foot. And he just overhit the ball straight into Muslera, I think it is, the Galatasaray keeper. And I was thinking, as long as Martinelli doesn't, um, you know, take the ball away and overhit it like Sane did, and he didn't, you know, he kept the ball very close to his feet, really controlled and a fantastic finish as well. Making up for, not making up because it was a tough chance that he had a one-on-one that was more difficult earlier on in the game that he was unfortunate not to get a better uh, finish with. Although that said, there's part of me that thinks he should have squared it to Saka, who I think was pretty much free on his right-hand side. But uh, I think Martinelli overall, a great performance. His first ever Champions League goal and his first ever start um, in, in the Champions League. Great goal from him. Fantastic stuff and a really, really good way to start. And Arsenal continued to to kind of, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, um, press home the advantage when Gabby Jesus made more than just a fantastic touch, but a goal really out of nothing. He was kind of fed the ball on the left-hand side, I think, by Declan Rice, and then he just kind of ghosts into the box and bang! Uh, a brilliant, brilliant goal uh, to, to give Arsenal at that point a 2-0 lead. And uh, sadly, his game was finished early by a, a hamstring problem. The, the benefit that Arsenal had is that he came out after the game and, and was pretty confident that, that it wasn't anything necessarily all that serious. Uh, he says, I felt something. Let's see. Uh, I did some tests with the physio. It looks not that big, but let's see. I have a scan maybe tomorrow. I'm pretty sure it will be nothing. So uh, that's positive. Um, there, there hopefully will not be too much of an issue with Jesus, but uh, he's always uh, he's always going to be the, the optimistic type. But if he's not available for the weekend, then I think it's time that Kai Havertz comes in. I think we can all assume that it will be Eddie Nketiah though. Um, but Kai Havertz coming on uh, in the second half and I think uh, did well. And we'll talk a little bit more about that shortly. Um, I'm refusing to give Declan Rice man the match. Not because he doesn't deserve it, but just because it's really boring. <laughs> it's getting to the stage where it's boring giving Declan Rice the uh, the man of the match because, he, he, yes, he, he absolutely deserves it. Yes, he was arguably the best player on the field. Again, um, the drives, the... Um, the the tackles, the recoveries, the presence, the composure, everything that he did, just excellent. Just so incredibly composed. And Thomas Partey wasn't available for this game. Of course, he stayed behind the club saying he has a slight muscle injury as to why he didn't travel. Um, and seasons gone by when we've missed Partey, you know, we've been bereft of, of a world-class player. But no more. Whether Partey's there or not, we have Declan Rice, who is... So incredibly good. But I don't I don't have to give Declan Rice man of the match. I don't even have to give it to Gabriel Jesus because this man right here, this man on your screens, Takahiro Tomiyasu, was so good. Like, ridiculously good. The composure, the defensive ability, the positioning, the philosophy in his game, the the accepting of the role that he had. Like, I, I tweeted this yesterday and I wrote about it this morning and I'm going to keep reminding you. Um, but I spoke to him after the game against PSV where he'd kind of been brought on on that left-hand side and had looked good. 
and he kept on moving inside and was moving internally. And I think since that that PSV game, we've seen him grow and and develop more as a, as a left back and as an inverted left back as well that was getting forwards. But when I spoke to Tommy Asu after the game against PSV in his limited English, all he said was that. He said, I'm not Zinchenko. And what he meant by that, humbly and honestly, is that he felt he couldn't do the things that Zinchenko can do. Um, and I think he's too harsh on himself because actually I think he can do a lot of the things that Zinchenko can do clearly. And I also think that he can defend to a higher standard um, compared to Zinchenko as well. And I think he offers us a lot on that left-hand side. I said earlier in the season that I don't want to see Tommy Asu play right back anymore. I, I don't think that's the right position for Tommy Asu. I think either play him at centre-half or play him in this inverted left-back position. I think that is the best role for him in this Arsenal team. I think Zinchenko has plenty of uh, of usefulness. I think against Sheffield United, I'd be surprised maybe if he doesn't play. Um, I think that against teams in the lower half of the table, Zinchenko can offer us that suffocation of, of oppositions like we saw at Bournemouth where he had a good game. But Tommy Asu was was excellent and arguably doesn't deserve to be dropped based upon that performance. Really strong, really forward-thinking, composed defensively, really stopped Jesus Navas a lot from putting in effective crosses and then Juan Lu as well in the second half. Really happy with his performance. Excellent stuff from him and, uh, yeah, brilliant uh, and certainly deserving of uh, of man of the match. Um a player that wasn't deserving of man of the match, though, again, um, was was David Raya. Uh, it's I, I almost feel like it's getting to the point where I can foresee comments being left that I'm now going to be too harsh on Raya and that I can't stop talking about Raya and you're showing your Ramsdale bias again, Tom. Stop doing this. I can just foresee it happening. But to those people that were tempted to write those comments... Just stop for a second. Just just stop and think about the performance overall and think about these runner fixtures and think about whether or not you think that Ramsdale would have done a better job than what Raya's doing. Because twice in this game, Raya passed the ball out. Not sure. He didn't pass the ball out like Arteta has wanted him to. So it's not like it's the Palmer pass or the Alvarez pass where I can kind of point the finger, you know, at Arteta more and say, you know, if Arteta wants you to play that way, I can't have too many qualms about that. And my finger pointing will be more towards the manager. What I can point the finger at him for is when he does things that clearly the, the manager is not asked for. And these are these little dinked passes in behind, trying to be cute with a little curled ball uh, beyond the, the attacking players. And he gave the ball away twice. Um and, he, and, and Sevilla were, were in on one of them in particular and should have done better, to be honest. Um, so, yeah, very disappointing. And then right at the end, that punch from the cross, not convincing. That ball could have landed absolutely anywhere. And the problem is, is that even though statistically people will send me stats and say, look, he's outperforming Ramsdale in all these areas, I'm like, sure. But there is something to be said about, you know, I think the perception and the view of what things that stats can't necessarily show you, which I think, you know, Ramsdale has in his, his demeanor, his character, his confidence. Um, and I, I also miss those little driven passes through the middle of the field. Do you remember Ramsdale used to kind of get the ball and like drive a pass low through the middle and we spin and go on to an attack. Now it's also worth adding that Raya's long pass did lead to Jesus's goal. It needed a bit of fortune, of course. And, uh, the the header from I don't know if it was Ramos or, or the fullback, um, but uh, there was a header from a severe player, and then it dropped to Declan Rice, and then the ball was fed to Jesus before he scored. So going long did ultimately help us get another goal, and that's worth remembering because that tactically is is something that we need to be more astute to. Um, he made one really good save, but it was offside. Um, the one that he kind of parried onto the crossbar from Diaz, but he was already offside. But it was a very very good save, and he's worth crediting there. But I don't think we'll see Ramsdale against Sheffield United. I think Raya will continue, but Ramsdale will come back in against West Ham. And I hope that against West Ham, he has a flawless performance. I really hope Ramsdale has an absolutely flawless display and gives us absolutely no reason to to question because that's what he needs to do. If he wants to somehow get back into this team and show Arteta what he's capable of, in the games that he plays, he needs to show that he's performing at a better level. He needs to show Arteta that he can do the passing that he wants. He needs to show Arteta that he can be as confident and consistent as possible. 
Let's wait and see. I, I don't know if if Ramsdale will be back in goal for the weekend. I know some people are saying that they think he will. I'm not so sure. I thought he might have played last night, to be honest, and he didn't. So, yeah, it remains to be seen what will happen. Now, uh, just to end the first section of today's show more generally, I think it's really important that we don't underestimate this result because it was a really, really good performance from Arsenal in the end. I know that we kind of held on towards things and there was a little bit of uh, there's a little bit of, uh, of hopefulness and hanging on in some ways, but I can't tell you how difficult of a place Sevilla is to go. Look, this is a place that Real Madrid didn't win at in their last game. So that gives you an idea. And it was the same team that started that game that started this game as well. Um, you know, unchanged team that managed to get a draw against Jude Bellingham and co. I can't tell you how good of a of a team that Sevilla can be, even though they've not had the best start to the season. They're very difficult to play against. It's a really hostile atmosphere, which we struggled with in lawns earlier in the season already. It's really, really impressive that Arsenal managed to come away with this victory. And it could have been stronger. It could have been better. We could have done things better, for sure. You know, it wasn't perfect. I'm not saying that it is. But it's so clear. It's so um, apparent that this was an important and uh, an impressive display. Mikel Arteta spoke after the game about a number of things about Jesus. He says, really happy with that part. Big games for big players and he needs to produce those moments to win in stadiums like this. He's done it and obviously he opened the game for us in a great way. And then we're really sad because he felt something in his hamstring and he had to come off and I'm worried about that. So let's see. Arteta is pretty worried. Jesus seemed less uh, less worried about that as well. He said, on the importance of tonight's victory, that's the Champions League and that's the group stages and it shows you the difficulty of winning and how much you have to value that. Against Lawns, obviously, that result puts us in a difficult position and the team had to react. We're coming back off of a period of very difficult games and the team constantly has to step in and go against adversity as well and injuries that we've picked up with some big players. The team is so willing and so determined, so at least to try at their best. It's worth pointing out, and Arteta raises this, and I don't think many people have... Um, have discussed this, you know, at all. Because Arsenal's last run of fixtures, Sevilla, Europa League winners, Chelsea, Manchester City, away to Lons, away to Bournemouth, away to Brentford, a home to Spurs. You know, that run of games, the away fixtures aren't particularly easy. And Arsenal have only managed to, to lose one, and that was obviously in the Champions League, which we've managed to come back from. We've beaten City. We've avoided defeat to Chelsea, despite obviously a relatively poor performance, but coming back to importantly hold that. We absolutely battered Bournemouth. We had a really impressive display, despite changing a lot of players against Brentford. And obviously that Spurs, North London derby performance wasn't the most encouraging in the world. And that obviously came off the back of a really big 4-0 win over PSV as well, which included... A win against Everton, a side that we then you know haven't beaten since what was it, 2015 or 2016, 17, something like that. Beating Manchester United before that. You look at the last run of one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Is it nine? I think so. Yeah, nine games and ten games. Sorry, and it's a really difficult run of fixtures. And Arsenal have managed to come away of only losing against Lawns and avoiding defeat in every single other one, drawing just two of them against Chelsea. Uh, and against Spurs as well, of course, and beating Manchester City in that run. Sevilla are no slouches to end that run of games. You know, it doesn't necessarily get easier for Arsenal because their fixtures coming up remain relatively tough. But Sheffield United at home, you look at as a very winnable game. West Ham look like a beatable team in the League Cup, and I hope we make changes for that, but I want to see us progress. You know, I'm not the biggest fan of the Carabao Cup, but if we keep making changes and progress by making changes, I've not got an issue with that. Newcastle away, tough. Severe at home. Burnley at home. Brentford away. Lawns at home. Wolves at home. Luton Town away. Aston Villa away. PSV away. Brighton at home. And then Liverpool on the 23rd of December. We've got a nice run coming up, you know? And we've had a really difficult start to the season. I think an understated difficult start to the season. And yet we've managed to come away with a really impressive... Um, you know, a really impressive victory and a really impressive run of games. So do not sleep on this run. Do not sleep on what Arsenal have achieved in these last few weeks and, and last couple of months because it is very, uh, I think it's understated how impressive that is. Let's go to part two uh, and your thoughts and feelings right after this. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. 
$45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. And the same goes for McDonald's. Maximize your home ground advantage with Mook Delivery. Are you in? Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Okay, uh, let's go into the chat box um, and we will tackle one of these super chats. Uh, Anorag, thank you so much for your very kind donation. Uh, <laughs> that's not the right way. Uh, your very kind donation. That's that's the one I wanted. Um, Partey is seeming more and more unreliable to me. Most important ability is availability. Also, do you think that Rice's long-term future is fixed at six or eight? And will it be either of the two, depending upon market opportunities? I think you probably answered it yourself, to be honest, regarding the second part. I think it might depend on who we sign as to where Rice ends up playing uh, persistently in the long term. I think he can play both roles very effectively. I don't buy into the whole stop playing Rice at eight, play him at six. I think he can do both really, really well. Um, so so let's wait and see um, what happens. Um but regarding the, uh, the 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 Partey thing, you know, I've said this for some time. I think Arsenal need to be working towards trying to find a better option to, for the long term. You know, Partey's in his thirties now; he's not reliable in terms of availability. We need to find ourselves a better option. Um, Terry says Tom loves his stats until the Ramsdale de- uh, Raya debate. Raya has been better in all of his stats so far. He looks shaky, by the way, but that's down to him playing at a significantly higher level and will come good. Uh, Terry, do you have the um, the, the save? the goal save statistics and things like that, because I know the graphics been going around about the passing, which yeah, for sure is in all of Raya's favor, by the way. Um, but do you have the save statistics? I haven't seen them myself. So I'm trying to wait and see whether or not, um, if they fall in his favor, because I know that graphic showed very heavily in Raya's favor, but I, it doesn't have the save stats on that graphic. So I wonder if they've left them out on purpose or not. Uh, I'd be curious to what they are. Regarding that, I have said a number of times that, you know, stats are important with context. And I always say that. I love stats. You know, I love stats. I use it in arguments all the time, but it's important that you apply context to stats. Otherwise, they're useless. And it is true that whilst the, the passing stats of Raya are outperforming that of Ramsdale, if you watch the games, and we all know this isn't like, you know, when we do these kind of comparisons between transfer targets and things like that, where we've not seen as much of the player, we've seen as much as Ramsdale and Raya. But I can't remember, besides the pass against um, Southampton last season, Ramsdale making such a high-profile passing error frequency as what Raya has. He might, you know, the ball might not reach its intended target as much or in the long passing, and that's why his pass success is lower than Raya's. And Raya might make more passes in, in safer scenarios, which obviously boosts that, that passing completion. But I personally can't remember, and maybe I'm, you know, maybe I'm just forgetting it, but I personally can't remember the number of high-profile passing errors that give the over, uh, give the opposition an, an opportunity to attack with Ramsdale in such a short space of time as I can do with Raya now. Uh, tell me if I'm wrong. Um, but let's let's wait and see uh, if that... Obviously, I want Raya to succeed because if Raya succeeds, he's starting. It means Arsenal succeeds and that's that's what's most important. Uh, Amira says, if Raya was any other player, we'd ask him to be dropped to the bench and build up confidence with sub-minutes and cup games like Havertz. Instead, we're hoping and praying things magically change after one game. Why? I suppose it's because he's a goalkeeper and obviously substitutions of goalkeepers aren't common despite what Mikel Arteta might tell you um i really really do um think that that whole discussion around subbing goalkeepers has done arteta no favors at all and i think arteta has ultimately generated this entire discussion almost individually um i also think that and i stand by my comments about the mismanagement of ramsdale regarding the champions league games i saw no reason why ramsdale shouldn't be the champions league goalkeeper Absolutely no reason at all why he shouldn't be playing those games. If if he's rated as well as highly as what Raya is, I don't know why Ramsdale wasn't used in the Champions League games and ran just given the Premier League games to play. I really don't. So 
that's a shame. And I feel if he if he had have played Ramsdale in those Champions League games, then we wouldn't be having as much of a discussion or there wouldn't be as much pressure and there wouldn't be as much expectation of of perfection for Raya as there is now. And, and I feel that is on Arteta personally. Uh, Stuart says, Raya has 100% not been welcomed by the fans and doesn't look confident. Despite that, his stats are still better than Raya. I don't think that's true, Stuart. I think that to say that he is 100% not been welcomed by the fans and doesn't look confident is a real misrepresentation. After Everton and PSV, Raya was being lauded. Raya had kind of got this aura of calm, this aura of confidence, the way in which he took the crosses, the way in which he, um, he commanded his box, the way in which the after that PSV game in particular, and I was there in the Emirates, the, the, the cheering that Raya got for his performance against PSV was very, very good. So I think he was, without question, welcomed at that point. But what I don't think is fair is to say that supporters can't have an opinion and can't ask questions about this. And I'm not saying that you're not saying that. But I think to say that he's not been welcomed by fans is is a step too far for me because I think that he was welcomed. He was appreciated for his calmness at the start of his time with Everton and PSV when he came in for those games. But then against Spurs, obviously had a mistake. Against City, there was that mistake. Against Chelsea, there was those mistakes. And against Sevilla last night, there was those mistakes. And, and you know, that that's that's a, that's a worry, especially when Ramsdale against Brentford looked so good. The save he made onto the post, his distribution was good, his confidence was good. There was a moment in that, that Brentford game, to be fair, where Ramsdale did um, make a mistake with one of his passes as well, to be fair. But I think that, you know, to say he's not been welcomed might be a bit too harsh uh, on, on the fan base, especially to say 100% as well. Uh, Oli says, hey Tom, whilst I'm fine with the critique of Raya, please talk about Odegaard as well. He needs dropping and we have options, Smith, Vieira, and Havertz. Oli, I was really pleased with the substitution of, of Odegaard for Havertz. I was glad that it was Havertz. Um, I, was, I was glad that it was Havertz that came on um, for Odegaard because Havertz's best position is for me when he was playing at Bayer Leverkusen, that right attacking midfield. You had Havertz on the right, you had uh, Brandt on the left, and you had Arangis playing in this defensive midfield role. And Havertz rose to prominence playing in that right attacking midfield slot. And so when he was coming on for Erdogan, I was like, okay, great. This is fantastic. I want to see what Havertz can do in that role. And I'm really interested that it was Havertz that came on for Erdogan. And Erdogan you know he's he's dropped. Uh, his, his form has dipped. There is no, there is no doubt about it. There's no debate about that. Odegaard's form has, has dipped. If Havertz was to start over Odegaard on Saturday, I wouldn't have too many qualms about it. I don't think I could have too many qualms about it at all because his form has dipped off. And players go through patches. We know that. You know, We know how good players can be. We know how good Odegaard is. He's a world-class player. But players go through bad patches. And I think maybe the Norway incident where you know they look like they're not going to make another international tournament has perhaps maybe had an impact on it. Um, but Havertz coming on was industrious. Havertz was the perfect type of player for the end of that game. He gives you an outlet. He gives you that that running. He gives you the, the tackling. He gives you the breaking up of play. And he just gives you another option. Now, I want to see Havertz start and play against the Sheffield United, you know, in an advanced position, not in a left eight, which is slightly less advanced than the right eight. I would like to see... Um, I would like to see uh, Havertz play in a more advanced position against a team where I think we're going to dominate the ball a lot more and be given an opportunity to play as close to the box as possible. I don't think Erdegaard will be dropped. I will say that. I don't think that will happen. Um, I could be wrong. I don't think that it will. But uh, I think that uh, certainly there is plenty of quality behind him that is, is going to be pushing him to to try and stay as fit as he can. Not as fit as he can, sorry, as, as informed as he can. So let's let's wait and see. Uh, Khan says, the longer Ramsdale doesn't play, the better. He gets all the emotional support, uh, gets stronger. He's a fan favourite. Raya must know this and the pressure will build as the new man, which isn't easy. Um, saying the longer Ramsdale doesn't play, the better. It seems a little bit contradictory to then say... Raya must know this and the pressure will build as the new uh, as, as the new man, which isn't easy. I don't know if it's, you know, the better because you want your goalkeepers to be playing with as less pressure as possible, obviously, um, to get their best performances. Clive says, Raya has not been fully welcomed yet as we learn about him. Fans are being politely supportive, whereas Ramsdale is loved 
by many. And I think this is probably a more accurate way. Stuart said he's 100% not been welcomed, I think was wrong. But I think Clive saying he's not been fully welcomed is absolutely fair. Um, because I think in those first two games, he gained a lot of support initially and certainly justified Arteta's decision to change him. The problem is, is that he's not justified the decision to keep him in. And, and that's the issue that we find ourselves in at the moment. Um, I think that in the ground... There is obviously, especially in the Man City game, there was a lot of tension around Raya's passing. And I didn't like the Ramsdale chance um, in the Chelsea game. I, I, I thought that was a little bit classless, to be honest. And, I, you know, I'd be critical of our fans and I've been, you know, very lauding and praising our fans. I think we've got the best away fans in the league, personally, with their support. But I didn't, I, I didn't think... Um, that that was that was a great thing to do. Imagine if you're a starting goalkeeper and your own fans are chanting the name of the other. No matter what your opinion is, no matter whether you think that Ramsdale should come in or not, you're in a game where you need to not concede, right? That, that's where you're at. You're in a position where you don't want to concede a goal and your response is to chant the name of the keeper that is not on the field. That... <sighs> You know that that is that that isn't good enough for me. That 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 needs to be um, uh, considered in those moments. It wasn't it wasn't very mature. It wasn't very well thought through to chant Ramsdale's name in that moment. Dow says, "What does Jorginho add?" To which there's a comment immediately after from Just Van that says, "Jorginho was so good, and he was." So good. He was composed. He was a lot better than he was in certain moments against Chelsea. And I think there's reasons for that. I think that Sevilla didn't have the same pace in the transition that um, that Chelsea had. So when you had Mudrick and Sterling and Palmer transitioning and running in behind, Jorginho was left behind in moments. And against those types of... Um, against those teams, uh, I think specifically... Um, I think that there are going to be uh, problems for Jorginho, you know, and he is going to be turned over and he is going to be left behind as the team quickly transitions. But Sevilla aren't in the same way. You know, they brought on Lamella, who's not exactly that quick. A Campos doesn't have the same level of speed as a Mudrik or as a Palmer. Um, and Enaziri is a normal classical number four where they want to try and get the ball into wide areas. And where Chelsea went a lot more direct... Sevilla wanted to get the ball into Navas and, and cross the ball, which meant that Jorginho wasn't testing the same way that it was against Chelsea. How Jorginho was tested was in possession and in the passing and the control and the spreading of the play. And that's that's where you're going to get the best from Jorginho is where he's able to orchestrate things, where he's able to pick up the ball in the middle third and kind of pull the strings of the midfield, keep the ball ticking over, keep Arsenal in control possession. That's where you're going to get the best from him. Um Udbav says, Jorginho just passes it back all the time. Shall we check if that's true? I'm, con I'm Hold on, bear with him. The camera's going to go a bit weird while I grab my second laptop. Um, but shall we check if, if the argument that Jorginho passes backwards all the time is true? You know I like tackling these types of comments. You know that I like discussing these types of things. Um, because specifically, what we often find is that the statistics show us that that is categorically not true. Um, <laughs> when we actually look into it. So let's have a quick look at Jorginho's statistics. And I'm doing this live because obviously if I'm proven wrong, I can look like an idiot and then Ubdav will be getting the uh, the justification that he wants. Let's go on to Scout, shall we? Jorginho. Uh, let's have a quick look at Arsenal's season with the Italian midfielder. And we can have a look at his passing statistics, both forwards and backwards. And let's see if indeed he does pass just backwards all of the time. What I would say is that I think we're probably going to see a lot of lateral passes um, for Jorginho. I definitely think we'll see that um, because he does tend to kind of spread the play very well. But let's have a look, quick look passing from Jorginho. Um, so this season, he is averaging 10.35 backward passes per game and he is averaging 18.15 passes forward per game. So nearly double um the amount of passes um that you're that you're experiencing forwards than you are backwards now against sevilla it was a lot more balanced there were 12 backward passes 11 of them reached their target there was 13 forward passes so it was a lot more balanced in that way what i would say is against chelsea right chelsea was a game where we were quite critical of Jorginho in that performance against chelsea he managed nearly five times the amount of forward passes against Chelsea than he did backward passes. Five passes backwards against Chelsea, 24 
passes forwards. And, and yet we perceive that as being a relatively poor game from Jorginho. And the reason why we saw it as a relatively poor game is because for a lot of the game, Chelsea were able to get the ball, especially in that first half. Chelsea were able to get on the ball a lot more and they were able to kind of pressure Arsenal and turn them over quickly, which is when Jorginho's weaknesses are exposed a lot more. But to suggest that Jorginho passes it backwards is an a clear misconception and the uh, the numbers certainly back that up. It is worth saying that Jorginho does pass the ball laterally a lot, but that is in part of what Arteta wants from his team. He wants the team to be moving the ball around the field uh, swiftly and changing direction quite a lot. And that includes a lot of lateral passing. So, you know, it would be, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, in disgenuine um, to to say that he doesn't uh, he doesn't add that forward passing at all. Stuart says, "Oh, second laptop, fancy mate? It's not fancy. I'm on my old laptop because my new laptop causes audio chaos. So I'm actually doing this on the show is being on my on my old laptop while my new laptop is now clearly the second laptop at the moment." Um, Porky Pork says, if you're not playing George in this game with the availability, who are you playing? El Nenny? I think he brings calmness, usually, and no one else can really play that role. Absolutely disingenuous. Thank you, Dave. That's the word I was looking for. Uh, Nyamdi says, hi, Tom. Do you think passing statistics take into account the opportunity to pass forward that was foregone when a player passes laterally or backwards? That is what the eye test would catch. Um, no, I don't think they would. I think stats would probably miss those. Um I think there are obviously going to be moments where we think that a forward pass might be more opportunistic. But what I think they do show you, Namdi is uh, Namdo, sorry, is the um is the intention to pass forwards is clearly there from Jorginho, hence why against Chelsea there was nearly five times the amount of forward passes to backward passes. Uh, and that's obviously very, very important. Uh Phil says, Who is your player comp with our current squad, El Nenny or Cedric? Um player comp. What do you mean by that? Phil, you're going to have to add some more information. I'm not sure what you mean. I may be being an idiot. I probably am. Um, Well, Alpha says, the case against Jorginho, dismissed. And first of all, thank you, Alpha, Dan, for being a member for 23 months. Fantastic stuff. Uh, Morgie says, Tom, there is no way that we will get as much space in midfield against Sheffield United. Plus, does the loudspeakers and halo used to get fans going abroad irritate you as much as it does me? Uh, I didn't really notice it. I wasn't in the ground, to be fair. I'm sure it was more irritating had I been in the ground. Um, But it is part of the atmosphere. You know, we've got our drum with the uh, the Ashburton army and things like that trying to generate atmosphere in the Emirates and it's lauded a lot for that. So, um, yeah, I, I think that some people are going to like it and some people aren't. It's going to be a bit Marmite, Morgie, uh, that. But uh, I think that Sheffield United obviously are going to try and close us down a lot more than we did see that from Sevilla. But I do think that we're going to have a lot more of the ball against um, Sheffield United than we did against Sevilla. So I think things will, will balance out in the end. I'm looking forward to being at the game on Saturday. I haven't actually been to an Arsenal game now since the Man City win. I wasn't at the Chelsea game. I wasn't obviously in Seville last night. I feel like it's been an age since I've been to an Arsenal game, even though it was only three games ago. So I'm looking forward to get down to the Emirates for the game um, against Sheffield United this weekend. And then, of course, I'll be hopefully at the West Ham game. I'm definitely going to be at the Newcastle game. I'm definitely going to be at the Burnley game as well. So plenty to discuss. Uh, Rob says, uh, can you see Tomiyasu being coached into a midfielder or Timber or Zinchenko rather than going into the market? Rob, I think that there's always this kind of, uh, I don't want to use the word desperation because I think that maybe takes things too far. But I do think there is a little bit of a a desire quite often to see these, um, there's, there's often a lot of desire to see uh, these players played in positions they're not. I remember when we first signed Ben White, the amount of times that I was asked to play him in defensive midfield and I was like, no, I'm just not on the idea of this. To be fair, there was a lot of times I didn't really want to see him play at right back either and I've been proven very wrong about that. But I think players just need to be played where they're flourishing. You know, and Tommy is clearly flourishing in this inverted left-sided role. I also think that he's flourishing in, in a centre-back role when he plays there. So that that is also very, very important indeed. Um, Timber, I can't wait to get back next year um, in, in March onwards time. You know, that is going to be great to see. I think Timber really will take things up a hell of a lot. A hell of a lot. Um, more than a wheelchair says, eye test is a lot more important than stats. I think they're both equally as important as one another. I think if you discount stats, it's usually because you don't like your view being disproven by numbers. Um I think stats allow you to see all of the game. Um, 
in a different way. Whereas the eye test goes through your own eyes, your own biases, your own view of what you saw. Ultimately, 90 minutes, you can only view what you've seen in that 90 minutes. You can go back and watch the game, which is always I definitely recommend doing. And I know that the Vision do a fantastic job of rewatches on their Patreon. So make sure you're over there if you're not already with Elliot and Clive doing their rewatches. They're brilliant with Tim and, um, of course, in, in, in things with Paul too. So it's worth worth doing um, if, if you haven't done so already. But um, stats are so, so important to give you a, a wider context. Like Think about what we just did with the Jorginho example. Someone's opinion is, based upon their eye test, Jorginho only passes backwards. Well, by going into statistics, we know we can absolutely categorically prove that that is not true. And if the eye test was more important than stats, then that person's view that Jorginho passes backwards only would be true because stats wouldn't be as important. But we know that stats are equally as important and they can prove those points of view that are kind of extreme. Very, very wrong indeed. Um, and Rand says the eye test tends to have bias. Absolutely. Uh, I think, as I say, you can't just use stats as kind of like a one-off thing and a blanket answer to everything. You have to use context with stats. It's really important to do that. Um, and I think that we do do that quite successfully. Adosis, so then we go to the market, Tom. Uh, I, I don't know what this is in response to... Uh, I assume this is more towards... Um, that question from Rob, was it specifically about the midfielder? Yeah, we do. I think we have to go into the market uh, and bring in a midfielder. You know who I want. You know the midfielder who I want is it's, it's Yusuf Fafana. That's who I would like to see Arsenal going and signing and bringing in to this team. Um, Porky Pork says, no one seems to mention the character difference between the keepers. That's what I'm missing. A big character uh, and some, you know what, housery. Uh, and fans love a big character at games and that's why I miss Ramsdale. And that's fair. I think a lot of fans miss Ramsdale because of his character and Raya doesn't have the same, you know, camar- not camaraderie, but kind of the, just the same character as as what Ramsdale has. So I think that definitely has played a part in the view of, of Raya compared to Ramsdale. He's very likable, Ramsdale. Um, and he's very easy to feel sorry for in this situation. But I think that Raya is making it a lot easier to feel sorry for. Um, let's go to Billy says, Hey, Tom, it's great to win after that Chelsea game. I was scared, but I'm very relieved now. I also have a feeling that Zinchenko has lost his spot in the starting 11 because Tommy is just so good. Uh, he could have done. But we we thought that about people before. We don't know. Do we? We don't know what the team is going to be on Saturday. We don't know who Arteta is going to go with. If it's Tommy, I'm fine with it. If it's Zinni, I'm fine with it. You know, from a football point of view, I think both of them will offer different things uh, against the visitors on Saturday. And I think I'd probably be more inclined to think that Zinchenko will start on on Saturday to give Arsenal that that control that, that Arteta likes. But Tommy Asu wouldn't exactly lack control if he played. I think he showed great ability against Sevilla last night um there's a lot of questions about Ram rams i feel like we've really done to death the ramsdale raya thing um so i'm probably not going to be discussing it again if you've missed part of the show we have done the raya ramsdale thing quite a bit and yando says the bitter truth might be that without part of this midfield lacks verticality in passing without losing physicality as with Jorginho. this is rice's biggest learning assignment i don't think it's necessarily even a learning assignment i think that rice is has showcased his physicality. He's showcased his progression. He's showcased his passing. I'm not sure what more I can ask of Rice. If I was being really picky, I'd like him to do more in the final third, maybe. But even then, he's proven to be really impressive. So I don't know what more I can ask, um, to be honest, uh, of, of Declan Rice. He has been absolutely fantastic. Um, and I just want to see him continue doing what he is doing. Um, Gunnar Dude says, Jorginho isn't good enough defensively to play in the six. He would be better further up the pitch and Rice in the six role. El Nenny is a, even a better option defensively. I don't know if that's true, you know. Um, second laptop's coming out, people. Uh, <laughs> I think that there are obviously moments where uh, Jorginho struggles more defensively because he doesn't have the same turn. It's the same thing like with Granit Xhaka, you know. Granit Xhaka was often turned and Rice isn't turned because he's got that athleticism that, that Xhaka didn't have. And and Jorginho himself, you know, is a defensive midfielder that lacks the athleticism 
to spin, turn and chase back. And if he gets turned and run and dribbled past, it's very difficult for him to to get back. But, you know, defensively, he's in the 67th percentile for tackles, in the 77th percentile for interceptions. He's not bad at defending by any means. Um, but as a third choice defensive midfielder for Arsenal, you aren't going to get much better than him. You know, you're not going to get much better than Jorginho at all. So, and Dara says Xhaka moved forward though, and that's exactly my point. When we moved Xhaka into the left eight position, um, you know, he, he obviously changed the way that in which he played for Arsenal and actually that role emphasised all the big things about Jorginho, about Xhaka. I don't think that if you I think I don't think that the same would happen in, if you hit if you did that to Jorginho because I don't think that Jorginho has the same attributes uh, as as Xhaka does to play that position. And I think Jorginho is much more of an orchestrator, a string puller, an architect, if you like, of a midfield, and that's why he has thrived. And that's why in the most successful Chelsea teams that included Ngolo Kante, who played six. Who played the deepest part of the midfield? Was it Angola Kante? No. Angola Kante played ahead of Jorginho, and Jorginho sat behind what many people would argue is one of the best defensive midfielders in the world of his generation in Kante. It was Jorginho playing behind Kante. And there was a reason for that. You know, and the reason being is because if you were to play Jorginho further forward, you're not going to get the best of his game, the best of his passing game, the best of his orchestrated power. And I think that, you know, with Rice, Jorginho can be good, but it's just in certain fixtures, he's not going to have the best of game. He's not, he's going to have an off one and the game state's not going to suit him. If Partey was fully fit, I'm sure Partey would have started against Chelsea, you know? And it's worth remembering that he had a really, really good game against City as well that people have, have quickly, quickly forgotten. And even then, you know, his passing was very good as well. Uh, Zungtar says, have you heard the criticism of the uh, the women's team? Yes, I have. And I think that people are right to ask those questions. If you're wondering what I'm asking, it's because there has been recent criticism of the lack of diversity in the Arsenal women's team. I don't have any issue with somebody asking the question, why is there not a greater diverse pool of players in that group? And people I've seen clap back at that and say the classic response of, well, surely you've got to get the best players if we're, you know, the best players, uh, if they're all, if they all look the same, why is that a problem? And it is a problem because in sport and in particular in women's sport at the moment in football, the women's game in football has been a cornerstone of inspiration for young girls across the world with World Cups, with European Championships and things like that. And if you look like somebody that you can look up to and you see somebody like you that is in a position uh, that is going on to have great success, it is more inspirational. It, it's just a matter of fact. And I think that that's why opportunities need to be given. And if you give a wider pool of people opportunity to get into those really great positions, you are going to find even more quality. So the whole argument of you've got to give the best people the job it's a bigger context than that. The context is bigger. And so if you allow a wider pool of people an opportunity, you will find even more quality than you're currently finding. And in the long term, you will get that. And that's why with referees, I talk about quite often, um, specifically, you know, there is a, such a small specificity of, of, of people that are in the referees pool at the moment typically white, typically northern, you know, and I think that there needs to be a, a greater pool of, of opportunity given to a more diverse group of people because by doing that, you open yourself up for finding even more quality than exists now. And I think that's what people forget. I think people quickly go into use words. I think you'll, you'll probably see words like quotas talked about, which is ludicrous. It's about creating a wider opportunity so that in the long term, we can have even more uh, quality uh, in the future because we have extracted the best of the best from the biggest pool of people. And that's why you need to give more opportunities to inspire more people from different backgrounds to try and go into those things. And, you know, I, I think that's really, really important to do. So I think the whole argument of, you know, 
you have to employ the best people for the job right now. You know, it doesn't work. It just, it just doesn't because in the long run, there are negative connotations because of that. Uh, and that's really, really important. Um, <clears throat> Right. Uh, so there, I've tackled that difficult topic. We're not afraid to tackle those ones. Um, and I think it's important that you discuss them. So there you go. Um, Paul says, why are we being so critical of a good away win when the team did their job? I feel like you're right, Paul. I feel like I've not talked too positively about last night. I feel like we've talked about Jorginho apparently not being good enough. We've talked about Raya not being good enough. We talked about Odegaard not being good enough. Again, I kind of want to... I want to re-establish um, this. I really want to re-establish the, the 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 point of last night was really really good. Last night was a really important win, and the performance overall I was pleased with. It could have been better, you know. It could have been um, more refined, but at the end of the day. I want to see these types of dogged wins sometimes. I want to see the quality that we saw. Uh, I really, really was impressed uh, with a lot of what happened last night and the performance overall. Uh, and I'm glad that the fans that were out there got to experience that victory because trust me, it's not fun going all the way to uh, across borders and, and then seeing your team lose. It's not fun because it's a lot of investment, a lot of time. And uh, yeah, to see your team lose like I did in France was was a frustration. So I'm glad the fans got to experience that victory, especially because we've not won in Spain for a, a very, very, very long time. Um, Rob says, uh, I thought we were great. Could have been three up at the end of the first half. Absolutely. We arguably should have been three up at the end of the first half. Um, let's go to... Thank you, Wilcher. I very much appreciate it. Very kind words there. Uh, and Rancid, we're top of the group. We are indeed. Uh, Van of Duty says, what are the obligations needed to make the Raya signing permanent? It was reported yesterday that Harry said in the summer that they are very easily achievable. I don't know. I don't know what the specificity of the different um, the needs for that contract to be, you know, act or the, for the option to be activated. Um, and so I think that because of that, it's difficult to answer your question. I don't know if it's a choice by Arsenal. Um, I don't know if, if we have to choose to activate. I don't know if it's like he plays a certain number of games and we activate it. I'm not sure. Um, very, very difficult uh, to, to know. So at this moment in time, I wouldn't be activating the, the clause. I want to see more. I might change my mind by the end of the season. I hope I change my mind because it would mean that he did really, really well. Um, but yeah, let's 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 wait and see. Um, we beat Valencia. If you, yes, yeah, sorry, it's the um, it's the first time we've won a Champions League game in Spain uh, for a long time. I keep messing that one up and forgetting about Valencia, but it's a Champions League game. Important to to point out. Uh, Zung says, in your opinion, Tom, what is Mikel Arteta's best signing? Uh, impact and price. Odegaard is certainly up there. It's very difficult not to see Odegaard as the best one. I think Gabriel has been brilliant. You know, he's really developed into something very, very special as a player. Um, I, I think they stand out amongst the others. You know, I I've liked the signing of Trossard. I think it's a really astute piece of business. That I think Urien Timber's going to prove to be a really exciting one. Declan Rice, you know, what an amazing signing he has. But again, he, we're still very early on in his time as an Arsenal player. Um, I think that the depth that we've added, you know, the Ramsdale, the Raya signings have added real depth in that position, even with the controversies that's going on at the moment. Tommy Asu, as Seb says, has proven to be a hell of a bargain, you know, as well. Um, we have made such good strides in, in recruitment, in depth, in strength of quality. Um, but for me, I think it's a toss-up between Odegaard and, and, and Big Gabby. Uh, I think those two stand out for me as, as, as two of the biggest potential, um, you know, signings that we have made under Arteta. But Gabriel Jesus as well, you know, really took forward that, that centre-forward position, has, has, has levelled that up. Um, so, yeah, but uh, in the current squad, you know, there's loads of exciting things. He's responsible for helping Saka become the player he is today. You know, a lot of people always want to kind of go, well, Unai Emery gave Saka his debut, and certainly Unai Emery deserves credit for that. But when Arteta took over, let's not forget, Saka was playing left-back. You know, Saka has become the right winger that he is today under Arteta's coaching. And so Arteta, without a doubt, deserves so much credit for the development of Bakaya Saka as an individual player. Martinelli as well. And I know that Martinelli's always played kind of in a forward position before Arteta came along. But when Arteta arrived, you know, he had that serious knee injury. Smith Rowe came into the team and was obviously developing under him as well. But then uh, Martinelli came back to full fitness. And um, 
and has obviously developed into one of the best, if not the best left winger in the league. So that's obviously really important to talk about. Ben White, I've forgotten about Ben White. And Ben White is so forgettable and that's not a criticism. He just is so often forgot about and that's really harsh. He shouldn't be. He's one of the most underrated players in this Arsenal team. And the work that Arteta has done to shift him to from a centre-back to the right-back has been gloriously positive. So yeah, without question, um, uh, he is a player that, that that's deserves more critis- uh, deserves more praise. Sorry, than he gets. That is that is really, really, really important. Um, let's go to more. The wheelchair says Tom. I think the most impressive thing Arteta has done is clear out the dressing room that took some major cojones uh, to do. Uh, it did. You're right. Um, and clearing out that dressing room is is really really important. Moving on the players being principled is good. You can be too stubborn, and I think Arteta can be too stubborn. But let's—you've got to take the rough with the smooth. I think you know you're not going to get perfection, and so therefore, I think that um, you know ultimately uh, Arteta should be praised for what he's done with the squad and instilling those values of uh, of togetherness, of connection, of family. Um, but, you know, he's not perfect and things still need to be improved as well. Gary says Saliba's been a great sign. Of course, Saliba was signed um, during Unai Emery's tenure. It wasn't Unai Emery that was the spearheading that deal. It was Francis Kajigal, Arsenal's former head of recruitment, that helped to get that that deal done with Raul Sanya. Yeah, he remembers still at the club. Same for uh, Gabriel Martinelli was was when uh, Francis Kajigal was still very much at Arsenal. So has to take credit for that. Edu obviously is involved a lot in the, in the recruitment. For me... I wouldn't trade Edu with any of our of the Premier League's director of footballs, sporting directors, etc. I think he's the right man for the job, and I think that we've we've taken huge strides in the market about getting deals done, about beating Man City to to players like Declan Rice, and, and getting great bargains for players like like Martin Erdegaard, and you know the, the amount of money that we spent on him, Trossard, Tomiyasu, Kivior. Um, I think that it's really, really important to, to not forget those deals. Yes, it's not been perfect. Yes, you've got your misses, your Tavareses, your Lacongas, your you know players like that where it's not always worked out. But you're not always going to have a hundred percent hit records. It's very rare that you do. Even Brighton don't. Do you do you know the reason why you think that Brighton have a brilliant track record of transfers? It's because those players have stood out like Matoma and McAllister and Caicedo. But they've got a hell of a lot of misses as well, do Brighton, because they've invested a lot of money and a lot of players for small amounts of money. And there's loads of players that you don't know exist that have not gone on to do anything, but they've been able to kind of scattergun their transfer approach. And that will have to change. And I think Brighton this season maybe are suffering a little bit of late um, with not having, you know, too many hits. You know, they've lost Caicedo, they've lost McAllister. Yes, they brought De who's done okay. He's not been brilliant, but he's been okay. Um, they've kept Matoma at the club, who's obviously a brilliant player. They've brought in Joao Pedro, who's not he, he's not taken things to another level, really, for them, despite them spending a lot of money on him. So it's not always just perfect at these clubs, despite them having loads of positivity and praise directed towards them. And, and that's obviously really, really too... Um, uh, really, really, um, that was a really concerning comment. Um, really, really, it's important to remember it's, it's ultimately um, uh, important that we, we appreciate the work that's that's been done. Um, let's go. Farad says, Tom, I feel that Martinelli is our only out-and-out winger with rapid speed and power. I think we lack the profile in our squad to go up against teams that sit back and defend. Um, he really does work hard to get back and defend, doesn't he? really does work hard to 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 fight back to to press to you know and it's really important that he does that because that's what is going to keep him in the side that's what stopped smith rowe really i think from getting back into that left hand side because the work that the martinelli puts in is brilliant um and his work rate is something i think that's maybe not talked about enough so yeah certainly worth uh highlighting martinelli's work rate because it is Utterly brilliant. Right. Uh, thank you, everyone that's tuned in. We've been going for nearly an hour now. You can tell it's my day off. Um, but uh, thank you to everyone that's listened. Really appreciate your time. If you've got any thoughts on the things that we've discussed, I know that we touched on a, a, a difficult topic today, of course, that I think we, we handled pretty darn well. Um, 
in the end and I stand by those comments. If you've got any questions for me on those, try to be respectful and calm in, in your responses. Leave them in the comment section down below. I will try to get to them as quickly as I can. Um, but uh, anything else from today's show that you, you want to leave your comment on, please go down to the comment section and, and do so. I try to read through as many as I can when I'm not too busy and I'll try to respond to ones that I have a response for. Um, so thank you for that. I very much appreciate you all tuning in and uh, and uh, yeah, joining me. Do drop a like on the video. Do subscribe to the channel if you're new around here with those notifications turned on so you never miss a show. I hope that you have a absolutely fantastic day. Um, and I'd also like to obviously send my condolences to the the family and friends and the whole of Everton Football Club as well, you know, over the sad passing of Bill Kemwright, uh, who sadly lost his life, or it was announced that he'd lost his life yesterday. So thoughts with Everton and those around the club and those that were close with Bill. Uh, and um, yeah, so uh, thoughts are, are certainly there too. Thank you to everyone that's tuned in. I will see you again on the next one, uh, which will be tomorrow morning at the very earliest, maybe one tonight maybe you'll get lucky maybe we'll have an evening show have a great day guys uh, and as always up the arsenal it's the 90 plus minute all your mates around and you've got a McNuggets share box ready to go and you know a late winner's coming. Your mates already got booked for a double dip in and you steal the last nugget, snatching all three points. Perfection. Order now on the McDonald's app for your delivery. You in? At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.